Welcome to the Connection Point Church Podcast. We hope to be an encouragement throughout your week. New episodes are available every Sunday evening and Thursday evening. We also invite you to join us live on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. study on the parables. You can be seated. Thank you for being here tonight. Amen. You can be seated. God bless you. Getting ready to dismiss youth class. Amen. 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 of the seed. We know about that, but really it's a, it's a parable about the different types of soil that receives the Word of God. And Jesus gives this parable and says, if you can't understand this foundational truth, this kingdom truth, this, this, this foundational parable, you're going to have trouble understanding not only the rest of the parables that we're going to study over the next few weeks, I'm looking forward to it, but we, he said, you're going, to have, you're going to have trouble understanding the Word of God. This really is a parable to unlock the rest of the parables. So we're going to take a look here again in Mark chapter 4. If you will bear with me here. In Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. And I want us just to take a look at this. And Jesus here, early on, he is uh, gathered here and he's with the crowd, the multitude, there were different groupings of people that followed Jesus. And the Bible's very intentional, all right? You know, the Bible says every, every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, that it's, 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 it's intentional, it's, it's important, it's significant. And the Bible talks about multitudes that would follow Jesus. They would follow Him for the fish and for the loaves. They, they were following Him because He was kind of... He was the main attraction. He was the entertaining thing to, 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 to see and to be a part of. And, and furthermore, that he was feeding people. He was taking care of them. He was meeting their, their physical needs. And so there were multitudes of people that would follow Jesus, but there were also crowds of people that would follow. They were crowds, and they had their own agenda and their own needs. But then beyond the multitude, beyond the crowd, there were the disciples. And, and Jesus was teaching this crowd of people 
The Bible says in, uh, in Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, and the Bible says, As he began to teach by the seaside, a very large crowd gathered around him so that he got into a boat and sat in the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea and land. Now, at this point, Jesus was in the region of Galilee. It was north of Jerusalem, and there was this, this, uh, this sea here, the Sea of Galilee, and he was along one of the coasts, and he was in this area where, because of the crowds that were surrounding him, in an effort to, to be able to better communicate with all of the people that were there, to be more accessible, to teach the multitude, and to teach the crowd, the Bible says that Jesus got in a boat and began to teach the crowd. There is a little area here in the Sea of Galilee, if you want to show that picture, that many believe that Jesus was was teaching this particular parable, and it's this little area off the Sea of Galilee called the, it's called the Cove of the Sower, and it's this little, uh, just, I don't know if you, what you would call it, this, this area right along the coast here that really is shaped in, in the form of a natural amphitheater, and if you were looking at it from the water onto the land opposite of the, of the kind of uh, perspective that we see here, you would see that there was it was almost like a, a gradual hill, a, a, a slope. And with the topography and with the, with the coastline there being curved in a curvature form, it would be easy, as you could imagine, for Jesus to get in this boat and to have one of his disciples just kind of moving him along that coastline right there in this cove, this cove of the sower as he would be teaching. They didn't have microphones. They didn't have, they didn't have any sort of electronic equipment. And so... As you can imagine, Jesus was going to have to really raise his voice, as would imagine even in some crowds of thousands of people. If you think about when Jesus fed the multitude, there was, there was four and 5,000 men, not to mention women and children. And so thousands of people were following the Lord. And, and here Jesus, being the master communicator that he is, gets in this boat and begins teaching them in this little, this little natural amphitheater. And so the Bible says in verse 1 of Mark chapter 4, the Bible says that he was there, he began to teach by the sea. A very large crowd gathered about him. So that he got into the boat and he sat, on it, sat in it on the sea and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them in many things in parables. And in his teaching he said to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow and he sowed some seed and it fell along the path. All right, everyone say the path. And the birds came and they devoured it, all right? And so other seed fell upon the rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up. And since it had no depth of soil, when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. And other seed fell among the thorns. Everyone say thorns. As thorns grew up and choked it and yielded no grain. And other seed fell onto good soil, and it produced grain growing up, increasing and yielding 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. Amen. And he said, he who has an ear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about these parables, and he said to them, to you it has been given. He's talking to Connection Point Church here. To you disciples, to you followers, not just the crowd, not just the multitude, not this, just those who follow him for the fish and the loaves, but have no consecration or commitment to the things of God. But to you, the disciples, he said, to you it has been given the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, 
Everything is in parables, and so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and they may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then, here it is, if you can't understand this very first and basic parable of the soils, how are you going to understand anything of what I teach and preach? And here's what he says. He said, here's the key to understanding. The sower sows the Word. God is the sower of the Word. The Word is preached. The Word is taught. The Word is shared. The Word is evangelized. Whether it's a Bible study or a sermon or a conversation with a trusted friend over coffee, at some point in your life, thank God you heard the Word of God. Whether it was by means of a preacher or a service or a friend or a Maybe even you heard something on TV or in a podcast, whatever it was. At some point in your life, the Word of God was sown into your heart. Amen. Thank God for that. The sower is casting the seed. The, the Word of God is without, Paul said, it's, it will not be bound. Even when Paul was in prison, he said, God used my prison cell to spread the, the, the word of God even to, even to uh, Pontius Pilate or even to, uh, to Caesar and all of those who, who, uh, who would, he would meet in front of and, and Felix, the governor, and all of these Roman officials that otherwise might have never received a presentation of the gospel. God used Paul's chains in imprisonment that while he was chained and bound and imprisoned, Paul said, the word of God will not be bound. The sower is... is uh, is continually sowing the Word of God. God is intentional, intentional about sowing the Word of God. And He says, these are the ones along the path where the Word is sown, that when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes that Word that is sown in them. In other words, God's Word spreads, whether through preaching or through teaching or through Bible study or, or whatever means or methods the Word of God is, is sown. And He said that there are some soil, there are some areas that that the seed is sown that is like a path that has been walked on and trampled on and traveled on and is as a result of the constant use and the constant traffic and the constant pattering of the feet he said the path is hardened the path is is rugged the path is <clears throat> has a very difficult exterior it's it's not fertile ground it's 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 not a pliable ground it's not broken up ground it's not fit to receive the word, and as a result, it takes no root. And furthermore, because it's in a common area with a lot of foot traffic, he said the, the birds come, in verse 16, or the fifth, verse 15, the, the birds come, Satan immediately comes and takes a word that is sown in them. I want to tell you there are some places where God's word is sown that because it is not prepared because of of, of contradicting voices or contradicting philosophies or contradicting ideas or contradicting just influences. There's no place or space that has been consecrated for God's Word. And, and as a result, the Word is sown into the hearts and to the lives of individuals that because of, the, of the, the conditions of their life, that the Word of God cannot take root in their life. And the enemy knows that he can come in, whether through deception or whether through sin or temptation, and he can immediately take that Word that has been sown into their life. It's not because God is not interested in them. It's not because God doesn't love them. It's not because God is not sending people into their life to share the gospel, to spread the gospel, but because their heart is not in a place where they are willing or interested in receiving the Word of God. They've got too much other stuff going on. 
the word of God is stolen from them. Verse 16. And he said, then, there the, then these are the ones sown on rocky ground. Here's another condition of the heart. They're sown on rocky ground. The ones, the ones who, when they hear the word of God, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a little while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. I want to tell you one thing that I have learned about just working with people over the course of my ministry is I get a little weary. I get it not leery, but I get a little worried of people that just buy in immediately. They just, not that, not that God doesn't make rapid changes in people's life. I was telling somebody today that when, when the gospel was presented to me, I made a radical transformation. God was working in my life for, for seasons prior, but when I finally got to a place where I was ready to receive the word of God and the gospel was presented to me and I repented of my sins, I'm telling you, there was a radical transformation. I got all the way in. And I want to tell you part of that is because I just saw what it was like in my family to not serve God and now something better was presented to me and I mean, I bought all the way in. But I want to tell you, And I've been serving God ever since. But I want to tell you, there is something to be said about making a heartfelt commitment that is not something that can be taken lightly. And sometimes what happens is people will will hear the gospel or they'll visit a church or they'll, 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 they'll decide to make a life change. But because they have not truly counted the cost and committed their life to truly following after the decision to serve Jesus Christ, it becomes just a fleeting decision and it becomes just a, a passing phase of their life. They, they didn't bear any, they didn't, they didn't have any root in themselves. They didn't endure. They didn't stick with it. They didn't commit to it. And he says that there's, there's some people that, that they, they have no root in themselves and they endure for a little while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. As soon as it's not convenient to serve God, as soon as it's not easy to serve God, they, their, their commitment begins to wane. And he goes on, he says, others then are sown among thorns and they are those who hear the word of God. He said, but the cares and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things in life begin to enter in and choke out their, their desire for the Word of God, and it ultimately proves to be unfruitful. But those that are, were sown on the good soil, everyone say good soil, are the ones who hear the Word. Everyone say hear the Word. They accept it or they receive it. And they allow their roots to grow deep. They move out anything in their life that would hinder their spiritual growth and progress. They begin to grow stalks and roots and branches and they begin to bear fruit some 30-fold, some 60-fold, and some 100-fold. So we find here that Jesus is explaining to us this parable of parables that in order to understand the Word of God, in order to receive the blessing that God would have for our life, that Jesus is sharing this parable or this kingdom truth to provide a kingdom perspective for our natural minds to understand that according to God's perspective, that when the Word of God goes forth, that that the condition of the human heart is like differing types of soil. And in order for us to bear fruit in the kingdom of God, in order for our faith and our Christianity to, to really mean something and to, and to bear fruit into eternity in order for our faith to, to be sustainable, we have to be like that good soil.
that is not full of thorns and thistles, that good soil that is not full of hard places in our heart and in our mind and in our thinking and is like that good soil that has, has cleared the way and made way with broken up soft ground that is willing and able to receive God's word and to allow that word to take root in our life and bear fruit. So Jesus is sharing this kingdom truth, all right? For a couple very important purposes. And I want to just rehash this quickly. Number one, to explain kingdom truths in everyday terms for people, all right? A parable is simply, it's just simply a, a, a kingdom truth. It's simply a simple story that's used to convey spiritual truth. Jesus was sharing these truths, speaking to a wide variety of people from various backgrounds and experiences and perspectives, yet the parable still possessed universal value and relevance. Nearly one-third of Jesus' teaching, or somewhere between 30 to 50, even perhaps more, depending on how you categorize and, and take account for these parables, were done so in parable form. But the meaning and the purpose of the parable is that as, as He's sharing these parables, He's giving us natural just kind of illustrations, or He's likening kingdom truths to natural things that we can wrap our, our human thinking and minds around. So that as he's sharing these, these spiritual truths and principles that, that somewhere in that story that we need to identify where we are in the parable. And we're going to take a look at this in, in a couple of weeks when we take a look at the, the story of the prodigal son. But there was one author that says that as you place yourself inside of the parable where you find the tension of the parable. He said it's there in that tension of the parable where the, where the story doesn't quite seem to make sense or where the most conflict or tension is or where the narrative just seems to, to have the most just uh, friction or frustration. He says that's where you're going to find God's greatest grace and you're going to learn some of the most rewarding truths about God that when you identify yourself in the parable and you confront the narrative that God has placed according to His perspective and get out of your way of thinking and get out of your perspective and get out of your box so to speak and look at things the way God sees things and place yourself in his story and in his narrative and identify yourself in the parable only then can you truly respond to God's word in an appropriate and an obedient fashion look what Arthur Miller a famous American playwright said he said in every successful drama there is something which makes a person say hey that's me the story itself becomes the mirror in which self-recognition produces self-understanding. Arthur Miller wasn't a Christian. He was an American playwright, very much a secular writer and thinker. He wrote one of his famous works was The Crucible, uh, which, was a, which was a story about, if you're familiar, the story about uh, Salem witch trials that he used as an allegory for what was kind of taking place in contemporary politics in his day, the 40s and 50s, uh, 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 a, uh, just a phenomenon called McCarthyism. Basically, he was using it as an allegory of, of the Salem witch trials. But nevertheless, what he said is true, which is interesting, and I think it's very much true, the parables. As Jesus shares this parable, parable about these four soils, we're seeing an insight into how God sees us and how He sees our hearts and our condition and our life. And contrary to popular opinion that maybe 
you know, some, some beliefs or theologies or pop psychology or self-help thinking out there, and I'm not against some of that stuff. Some of that's helpful and some of that can be good, but, but when we get right down to it, we need to understand how God sees things. And instead of just thinking that you're okay and I'm okay and God's happy with me no matter what and everything's all right. No, we need to see ourselves in light of this parable, this kingdom context to recognize and to realize that at some place in this parable is where we fall. That we are either the soil that is, that is like that path that has just got so much foot traffic. There's so many contradicting voices and conflicting uh, just influences in our life that God's Word, even though God is sharing His Word in our life, that it's not, it's not taking root. We're either that path or we're that stony ground that we've got some deep things in our heart, some trauma or some unresolved conflicting relationships or there's some things in our life that are below the surface that are, are, are causing some stubbornness and some hardness, some, some thinking that is, that is, whether you realize it or not, is affecting your relationship with God. Or you're like that soil that is that, that soil that, that the seed began to take root and it began to grow and the joy of God, the joy of the Lord was there and, and heartfelt transformation was there and you began getting some roots in your life and began just following the course and path of discipleship and you served God for a while. You're serving God for a season, but, but because there was some thorns in your life, some weeds in your life, some, some, some contradicting influences in your life, you began to allow those things to crowd out your joy and your desire for the things of God, whether it was a pursuit for wealth or a pursuit for relationships that were contrary to the will or the Word of God or some outside influence or voice that was contradicting what God was doing in your life. Maybe you're like that soil that there were so many other things growing up with your faith that you ultimately your faith was choked out. Or are you like that good soil, that soil that cleared out the hardness of heart and the stubborn thinking that cleared out all the external influences that would choke out the Word of God and in serving God, that you had consecrated and dedicated your life. You weren't, you weren't trying to serve God on a pathway for all the common things of life. You made some real consecration and commitment in your life. Or, or are you that soil that, 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 that produced good fruit? And so that's what we have to do tonight. That's the challenge of this particular parable, that where the parable, in the parable you find yourself is typically the place where there is the most tension. That is where you're going to find the grace of God at work in your life. And so what I want to do is, I want to just, <clears throat> I want to just get in here quickly. I won't belabor the point, but I just want to remind us because I think it's pertinent. We're going to take a look at a few things that we need to do to prepare our heart, prepare our soil. But let's just take a look at what we looked at last week as we, as we see this. Number one, the parables were to explain spiritual truth in everyday terms. We looked at that, right? Number two, the parables, the purpose of them was to expose a lack of motivation for spiritual growth among the crowd. Now, this is important because Jesus said something to his disciples. Notice how Jesus did this. Jesus told the parable. He, he sowed the seed. He shared this kingdom truth. He provided God's perspective on the condition of the human heart. And then he just kept on moving. He kept on teaching. He kept on preaching. And it wasn't until the disciples separated themselves from the crowd and came to Jesus privately and began to inquire of these parables that Jesus had just told 
that Jesus began to stop and to deal with and to discuss with these disciples specifically what the meaning of those parables were. And what we find here is that there was a distinction and a separation from the crowd who perhaps were motivated by other things other than spiritual growth. They were following Jesus for whatever the reason was, but for whatever reason they were not willing to follow Jesus to the place of uncovering these deeper spiritual truths for their life about the kingdom, and they failed to receive the deeper purpose and meaning of the parable. And the disciples instead came to Jesus and asked Him, what does the parable mean? And so we find in some respects the parables are given in such a way that they expose the conditions and the motivations of our heart. Do we really desire more of God? Do we really hunger for the things of God? Are we really seeking after God for the fish and for the loaves? Or are we truly desiring a deeper relationship and understanding of the things of God? Matthew 21, 45-46, there was a story, um, we won't look at it, but at one point, Jesus was telling the parables, and the Pharisees, it says they realized that he was talking about them, and they had conviction in their heart. There it is. The leading priests and the Pharisees heard this parable. They realized he was telling the story against them. They identified themselves in the story, and they realized they were not the good ground. And so you know the story. They, they ultimately didn't do anything about it, but it exposed the condition of their heart. Now for us, when we identify ourselves in this story, whether we've got stony ground or we've got weeds in our life, whatever, we need to respond accordingly so that we can allow ourselves to prepare our hearts to make sure that we are that good ground that God can bear fruit in our life. And finally, the third one is this. The parables provide a clear path of spiritual growth and blessing for followers or disciples. All right? The crowd, they came and they went. The crowd came, and then they, they went. The multitude came, and then they went. That was the difference between the crowd and the disciples. That was the difference between spiritual growth and stagnation. That was the difference between a shallow, surface-level relationship with God or faith or Christianity and an actual relationship with Jesus Christ, discipleship. The disciples followed, and then they obeyed. The disciples were with Him enough that they were actually able to ask Him, Lord, what does this mean to me? What does this parable mean for me? I want to tell you, God is not afar off. God is not distant. God is not ambiguous. God is not uninterested or disconnected. But God is interested in your life. God is interested in speaking to you and talking to you and, and working in your life and sharing His will and His plan and His purpose. And I want to tell you, if you would just come to God and pray to God and seek God and knock, and, and I will tell you, God is, is interested in speaking into your life. You don't have to be some preacher or some pastor or some super spiritual spiritual person to have a relationship with God, that you can go to God quietly in prayer by yourself and wrestle with the things that you are dealing with in your life in a, in a real and an honest way and say, God, I'm, I have some questions about these things. I, I'm not sure about these things. I, I'm dealing with these things in my life. And God is not un, uh, uh, offended by that. God is not uninterested in that. But the, the difference between growth and stagnation was these disciples went to the Lord privately in a time of personal prayer and communication with God, they said, Lord, what does this mean? I want to tell you, one of the keys to discipleship is you are, 
you're entering into a relationship, into a, a, a place with God where you are sharing with God the desires, the questions, the wrestlings of your heart. And as you do, I want to just tell you that God will speak into your life. God will speak to your uncertainty. God will speak to your questions. God will allow you to take those questions and those uncertainties and even those doubts, and He will take you on a journey of spiritual growth and progress. Some of the greatest spiritual growth that you will encounter in your life is when you take those things that you are unsure about or uneasy about or unclear about, and you will go to God in prayer instead of ignoring it, or just forgetting about it. You will take those things that you are wrestling with the Lord about and you will take those things to God in prayer and allow God the opportunity to give you clarity and wisdom and strength and peace and understanding and direction for your life. And then you will see that He is a God that is not afar off, but He is a God that is interested, interested in your life, the details of your life. So they followed him and they obeyed and they said, Lord, what do these parables mean? They didn't just let it just go by. And that's the challenge I want to have for us tonight. And so here we go. A few things here. Number one, <clears throat> we get into this and we see that this parable, I'll be quick because I know there's pizza back there. <laughs> but um, so how do we respond? Jesus gave this parable after they had left the crowd and the multitude, the disciples come to him and they begin asking him about these parables. And Jesus reveals the, the seed is the Word of God. God is always talking. God is always speaking into your life. Whether it's through prayer, the Word of God, or speaking to your spirit or experiences. Or I want to tell you, God is, God is constantly speaking. When you study your Old Testament, you will find that during the period of time where the nation of Israel was getting ready to fall into, into exile and into spiritual, what we'll call just backsliding, even they had been backsliding for a while, but they, the judgment of God was coming. God sent more prophets during that particular period and era of time than perhaps any other time in the nation of Israel. And the point I'm making is that God was speaking to His people. God was trying to communicate. The problem was not, is the seed being sown the problem was, are you listening? Are you posturing yourself in a way that you are hearing what God is trying to say in your life? And so Jesus said the seed is the Word of God, but the soil is the variable here. The soil is where we need to find ourselves. There's four types of soil. There's a, there's a path. There's a stony place. There's a place with weeds or with tares or thorns. And then there is a good soil. And we have to find ourselves, identify the soils of our life, the soil of our heart, the soil of our current spiritual condition in order to deal with the real and honest things of our spiritual well-being. So here's what we find here. Let's go to the first one, <clears throat> preparing the soil of our heart. Number one, the first thing that we find here is that this first type of soil that Jesus gives us is this soil of this, this beaten path. And it was this place that, where there was a lot of foot traffic. It was a common place. It was a popular place. It was a, it was a place with a lot of people that were coming and going. There was probably crowds that would gather along the path. It was a place where maybe people would walk to get from one place to another. There was a lot of diverging influences and voices and people. And so much so 
that the, 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 the birds of the air tended to flock and congregate there. There was a, there was, there was, uh, it was a place that had been beaten down. It was hard. It was, it was not easily receptive to the seed of God's Word. And what we find here is that, is that this, this pathway was a place where ultimately God's Word was never going to even take root or bear fruit. And so it's those areas of our life that are common. It's a common place. Everyone, it's accessible to everybody. That pathway was a place, it was a public transit. It was a, it was a, a place where people would come and they would go, and anyone and everyone was able to just pass through this, this, this place, this path. What we find here is that places that are common and available and accessible to everybody in anything is not a good place for spiritual growth and progression. And the spiritual, underlying spiritual truth that Jesus is making is that there are some things in your life that you have got to make a distinction in, that you've got to create some boundaries in your life, some healthy boundaries between what is common and what is consecrated or sacred to God. That if you want to grow spiritually, that you can't just let your life just be a place that anything and everything is just common. That there's no distinction between what is important to God and what is important to every other relationship and influence in your life. There have to be some hard decisions in your life where you create some healthy boundaries and that you can keep some common things out and keep the sacred and, and, and holy things of God in. There has to be some boundaries in your life. You shouldn't allow anyone and everyone to dictate your relationship to God. You shouldn't allow anyone and everyone to dictate what is sacred to you and what is consecrated to God. There have to be some things that are for God alone. You say, God, I'm surrendering this area of my life. I'm giving this to you. I'm making a commitment that that I'm going to serve you and I'm going to trust you and I'm going to love you and I'm going to make the things of God a priority in my life that, that I'm not allowing just anyone and everyone to dictate the boundaries of my life. I want to tell you, until you make up a mind, and I know I'm preaching to the choir tonight, until you make up a mind to draw some very clear boundaries regarding your commitment to the things of God, until you dictate, until you determine that you are going to serve God, that you are going to live for God, that you are going to be faithful to truth, to the, to the truth, to the church, that you are, going to, you are going to be committed to serving God and living for God and, and raising your family in the church and growing in your, in your walk with God and, and continuing in your discipleship with Jesus. Until you make those boundary decisions in your life, I'm telling you, your heart is going to be nothing more than just a path for anyone and everyone to just make their way whenever they want to. You have to make up your mind to serve God. I want to tell you, God is not going to share His holiness and His sovereignty with just anyone and everyone. God is a holy God. That's the point of it. He says, I'm holy. I'm separate. I'm not like anyone else. I'm not like everybody else. There have to be some things in your heart where you make up your mind that there's some things that you are going to reverence about the things of God, that I have a reverence and a fear and a love for the things of God. Not, it's not just common and, and just, uh, just, just, just uh, common. That, that, that God is holy and He's sacred. So number one, we have to create some boundaries in our life. Look what Ephesians 2, 1 through 5 says. It says, You were dead in trespasses and sin, which once walked following the course of this world. There's the course of this world. You've got to be countercultural at some point in your life. You've got to just make up your mind. I don't care what people think. I don't care what people's opinions are. I'm going to be a little countercultural. That's a good thing. Following the prince and the power of the air. They're just on the path, just following the course of this world. Serving God should look a little bit different than the world. Serving God should make you act different than this world. Serving God should make you think a little bit different than this world. You're not following the course of this world. You're not on the path. 
You're separating yourself. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience says that Satan is the prince of the power of the air, like those birds that came and took that seed. Satan will send a thoughts. If your whole life is just consumed with worldly thinking and ideas and entertainment and philosophies and lyrics and all that stuff, I want to tell you, it's not going to take very long for Satan to just put a, a seed of, uh, to, to, to send a, a, a thought of doubt or a thought of, 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 of rejecting the gospel or contradicting the gospel. It's not going to take very long. If your whole life is just consumed with just the, the path of this world and you've never made any countercultural decisions, it's not going to take very long for the enemy to come and steal out the Word of God. And among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together, Christ. By grace you have been saved. At some point you've got to decide, I'm going to get off the path and I'm going to carve out some space and a place that is dedicated to my commitment to serving Jesus Christ. Number two, not only do you have to create some boundaries, you've got to dig up the weeds in your life. Amen. Mark 4, 16-17, he says, These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground who when they hear the Word, immediately... Receive it with gladness. They had an immediate commitment, but they didn't allow the roots to set themselves in, and so they only endured for a time. Afterwards, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. When people started opposing them or they started getting some pushback, I want to tell you, it's interesting, and I, I love my mom, and she comes to church now, and I thank God for that. <clears throat> my dad passed away uh, First year we were married, and she gets she gets mad at me when I talk about kind of you know what it was like in our family before we were serving God. So I want to be respectful, but the reality is we 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 I grew up in a home that was far from God, and it's funny that as a teenager, as I was just kind of progressively just just getting more and more into just destructive lifestyles. They weren't worried about me until I started serving God and going to church. It's amazing how that works. And you got certain people in your life, you know, you, you could just, your life could be heading down just a, just a path of destruction and self-destruction and, 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 and just, you know, drunkenness and just, just unhealthy, toxic relationships, whatever, you know, whatever the deal is. But until you start really trying to serve God and get a little commitment to God and religion, you're going to start, just start seeing the contradicting voices come out of the woodwork, all right? That's kind of how it is sometimes. You know, you want to serve God, you want to live for God, but then you start just, the enemy just starts just giving you reasons why, I don't know about that church. I don't know about living for God. I don't know. It's too much of a commitment. And just all these little things are going to start coming against you. When the tribulation comes or persecution arises for the word, immediately they stumble. I told someone today, at some point, you got to get a hold of the word. You got to get a hold of God for yourself. God, are you in this? Yes, you're in this, then I'm in this. If you're in this, then I'm all the way in. You got to just make up your mind. You got to just make a decision. I'm going to endure. I'm going to endure. I'm going to weather the storm. I'm going to live for God. Even when it doesn't feel good, even when it's not convenient, even when it's not easy, I'm going to endure the storm. I'm going to weather the storms of life. And when you weather a few storms, or a few contradictory seasons, or a few inconvenient seasons, or even a few very hard seasons. Can I get a witness? You're going to get on the other side, and you're going to just you're going to see, wow, 
God was with me all along. And you're going to be stronger and you're going to be wiser and you're going to be closer to Jesus than you were before. God uses those seasons where you just feel disoriented. If you'll just stick with it, if you'll just keep on keeping on, if you'll just keep on living for God, I want to tell you, you'll get to the other side. You'll weather the storm, and Jesus will bring clarity, and he'll bring faith, and he'll bring strength. But you've got to just keep on enduring, even when the persecution and tribulation of life is, is arising in your, in your faith. Just keep on serving God, all right? And so <clears throat> sometimes in those seasons, you just got to keep on keeping on. There's some difficult things in life that you've got to be willing to remove. This soil was not a fruitful soil because there were some hard issues. There were some stones and there were some, there were some hard things that were preventing them from growing spiritually. Sometimes you've got to deal with the real difficult things in life. Sometimes you've got to deal with the things that are below the surface, maybe from your childhood or from a past relationship or whatever it is. You've got to dig those stony things out. You've got to dig those bad attitudes out. You've got to dig those toxic relationships out that are affecting the way you see God and see other people. It's not so much God. It's just the, the, the toxic relationships or the situations and experiences you've dealt with in the past that are perverting your perspective about a good and a holy and a gracious God. And sometimes serving, for God, serving God requires us to, to deal with, to confront, and to dig out those stony, hard, and difficult attitudes, perspectives, and understandings, unhealthy understandings about our relationship with others and ultimately how it affects our relationship with God, all right? Number three. We've got to remove the stones. i got a little mix up here. Dig up the weeds. <clears throat> Here's what happens. The weeds are really like the attitudes that we allow into our life. It's like a bad attitude. It's like a bitterness. It's like being offended by somebody. I'm going to tell you, if, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close here quickly because I know we got pizza back there, but listen. Let me just say this. If, if you haven't been offended yet in your relationship with God, just hold on because it's coming. Amen? And, and I can say this from experience. Sometimes the worst offense comes not only from Christians and church members, it can even come from ministry or pastors or people that you set in a higher esteem. But nevertheless, the response is always the same. The enemy wants to use offense or unmet expectations or feeling like you've been treated unfairly or unjustly to get a foothold into your life and to as the Bible says, allow for roots of bitterness to begin to take root in your life and ultimately cause you to become defiled, just like this parable, whether it's a love for money or whether it's an offense at something someone ha happened to you in the church or whether someone just had a careless conversation and sowed some little doubt or negativity into your mind and you begin second-guessing and questioning what God has been doing in your life and all of a sudden you're offended or, or you're discouraged or you're hurt or whatever, these little attitudes, these little weeds begin to take root in our life and it's going to happen for the rest of your walk with God. You've got to guard your heart. You've got to guard your thoughts. You've got to guard your attitude. The Bible says in Proverbs, uh, the book of Proverbs, it says to guard your heart, uh, 
first and foremost, to guard your heart, for out of it flow the issues of life. Keep your heart with all diligence, all vigilance, from out of it flows the springs of life. You've got to be careful that you're not allowing some attitude to take over that ultimately is going to tarnish your relationship with God and finally remove the stones. That's the point I made previously. Staying with me here tonight. Sometimes serving God, you're going to hit some places. And this is why I'm going to just say this. talking like this tonight. Uh, I believe God can heal any past trauma or stony place in our life that's underneath the surface that's prohibiting spiritual growth. I believe God can heal that. I believe he's healed that in my life. And I do also believe with that sometimes there are professional resources to help us. Uh, Therapy or counseling. I know a lot of pastors. I know a lot of pastors' wives. I know a lot of good people that have benefited from just talking to someone and getting some help and some external outside resources. But whatever the is, whatever the issue is, sometimes you got to do the hard work of just taking a look at what is preventing me from growing, and taking the time to break up that hard thing and to remove it from the soil of my heart. And if we will, even if we are naturally just uh, just have a proclivity towards being that path or being that stony ground or being that ground with all the weeds and the tares. If we will do the hard work to prepare our heart constantly and continually, I want to tell you that ultimately we can create a good place for God's Word to take root and we will grow and we will see spiritual blessing and fruitfulness. As I close with this, take a look at that Scripture what is it in, in, in Jeremiah? Is it Jeremiah? It's up like the second point. It's, no, it's in Genesis. Look at Genesis. Jesus made a reference. And I'm going to close with this. He said that if you're that good ground, if your heart is right and honest and pure and sincere and you're, you're being proactive about keeping your attitude right and your heart right, he said you're going to ultimately you're going to produce fruit some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. And it's a reference that Jesus makes to one portion of Scripture that talks about 100 fold. Uh, harvest. It was Jacob. And back in Genesis chapter 26, the Bible says that Jacob sowed seed in the field and he produced a hundredfold because God had blessed him. And in Genesis chapter 26, what I want to tell you is if you will make it your ambition and to be diligent just through prayer and faithfulness and commitment and not being offended to serve God, to be that disciple that bring in your needs to the Lord and your questions, I want to tell you if you will keep your heart right, I want to tell you God is going to produce fruit in your life that is going to give God glory and that ultimately is going to be a blessing in your life. God wants to bless His people. God wants to bless your life. Amen. Bow your head with me. Let's pray. Father, God, in the name of Jesus, I thank You for Your Word. Help us to find ourselves.